all of those systemic issues that we are, you know, facing on a countrywide level or a statewide level, or even in your own community, these things that feel too big for you to take on yourself, that is where collective action is so incredibly important. And so that's where you look for the organizations who share your values, who share your North Star. You look for the movements and for the activists who are working toward those same things, and you link up with them. Because that is how we work to create change on a systemic level. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and this week we are talking all about impact. I'm joined today by Kristen Brandt, impact advisor, self-defense instructor, girls' right advocate, co-founder, and chief programs officer at She's the First and co-author of Impact, your step-by-step plan to create the world you want to live in. And I am really happy and excited to share with you this conversation because in 2020, I have really found myself focusing more heavily on impact. And I have a feeling that you have been too. I've been thinking a lot about what can I do? What can I continue to do to have a positive impact or a long lasting impact to be part of meaningful or transformational change? And I think when we start to think about impact, when we start to think about change, it can often either feel intimidating or overwhelming. And we often really just don't know where to start. And so I was so grateful to sit down with Kristen to have this conversation because we really dive in to her new book, Impact, and how you can begin to support the world that you want to live in, the world that you want to see by crafting an impact plan and finding your North Star, building a community around you and sustaining your efforts through self-care and resilience. Kristen has such amazing advice for anyone that's feeling pressure, shame, or guilt around impact. And she also shares with us powerful strategies for tackling the shoulds and why it's important to stay curious and really recognize our role in creating impact. Plus, Kristen and I chat about the role of community and collective action. Kristen shares with us her biggest dream and so much more. Kristen is honestly a powerhouse and the work that she and her co-founder Tammy have done with She's the First is transformational and inspiring. They built She's the First over 10 years ago from the ground up, making it a wildly successful girls' rights nonprofit. They team up with local organizations around the world and directly impact more than 11,000 girls. Their work has been supported by Michelle Obama, the United Nations, Diane von Furstenberg, major brands, over 200 plus campus chapters, and hundreds of thousands of everyday change makers worldwide. It goes without saying, but I'm so excited for you guys to dive in and tune in to this week's new episode. I cannot wait to hear what you think. So make sure to join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. If you are tuning in on Spotify, hit follow. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe. While you're there, leave us a five-star rating and review. And when you do that, take a screenshot of the review and send it to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com. And I'll send you a little something to say thank you. Okay, last thing. And then I promise we are diving in to this week's phenomenal episode. I am really excited to share with you that I am speaking at Podcast Wellness Week presented by Podbean. It's a week-long live stream and podcast event held from November 30th to December 4th, and it's going to offer an amazing array of live stream panels, sessions, daily meditations, and wellness content. And my panel is on Thursday, December 3rd at 10 a.m. Pacific. And the panel discussion is really going to be about positive mindset and how we can really offer a fresh perspective and tools for increasing your happiness quotient and empowering ourselves with actionable steps to feel that sense of contentment and joy in our lives. And I am really honored because 
this is my first ever panel. And this is the first time I'm going to be um, part of an event like this. So it's, it's a big deal and I'm super excited and not going to lie, a little bit nervous because I don't know exactly what to expect, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I would love to see you there. So I'm going to include the link to register for Podcast Wellness Week in the show notes for this week's new episode and make sure when you register to hit free pass, that way you get notified about all the live streams as they're live. And then if you miss a live stream or you want to check out any of the bonus content, you can get a full pass and I'll include the link for that as well. So I am super excited. It's my first ever panel and I would love, love, love to see you guys there. So I will include that link in the show notes. Okay. This is probably the longest intro I've ever done, but this week's conversation couldn't be more timely. I think especially in a year where we're thinking more broadly and more specifically about social change and the impact that we can have in our world, both in our direct community, but in the global community as well. And I can't thank Kristen enough for coming on the podcast and having this conversation with me. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kristen Brandt of She's the First and Impact. First of all, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, Kristen. I I'm a big fan of what you're doing with She's the First and um, so excited for your new book to come out. But I'm curious, you know, maybe to start, how did you and Tammy come together to start She's the First? Oh, good question. Um, so a fun fact is that before Tammy and I wrote Impact, we actually were going to write a book about our relationship because mm-hmm. we have been co-founders for more than a decade and a lot of co-founder relationships just don't make it, frankly. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a good point. Our, uh, our first book idea was about our relationship and how we, over time, not only made that work, but made it really work for us and how much we learned from that just to apply back to our other relationships and even romantic mm-hmm. relationships in life. But, but I digress. So Tammy and I first met actually through a scholarship program run by New York Women in Communications. I was in high, in high school at the time, about to go to college. And Tammy had, I think she was in one of her last years of college. She's a few years older than I am. And we both had planned to go into the magazine industry. And kind of typical to our type A personalities, we plan to take over the magazine (laughs) industry. (laughs) And so we both had applied for this really prestigious scholarship. And by the time I won it, she was volunteering to take the scholarship winners around New York and take them to the early show and, and do all of that. So we met there. But it actually wasn't until a few years later that we reconnected on Facebook because Tammy had been posting about this issue of girls' education and girls' rights, and I was really interested in that. I was at Syracuse University at the time and just really interested in girls and women and and how we can create change with and for girls and women around the world. Mm -hmm. So we reconnected via this Facebook post and the rest is history. I love this. I love how you guys came together. And I think, oh, we'll have to do a whole podcast then one day with both of you about this relationship, (laughs) because you're right. Oftentimes these relationships don't work. They don't last. You clash. But what a testament, I think, probably to not only your friendship, but your working relationship that you've been doing this for a decade. And now you guys have come out with a book really focused, I on the impact that you've made, I think not only with She's the First, but also how we can encourage ourselves and others to make that impact too. So really cool. I think all that you guys have been able to create and, you know, shed light on together through that relationship. Yeah, thanks. And we, you know, I don't, I don't recommend writing a book with someone unless you've (laughs) worked with them for 10 years. That's a good, that's a really good Um, piece of advice. You know, I think we, for us, it made the process so much easier. And speaking for myself, Tammy is so well organized. Um, She's incredible. So having that on my team was so worth it. But I think, um, you know, for for everyday people, if I tried to write this book with anyone else, it totally would have crashed and burned. Yeah. Uh, But the book itself is really because we've had so many people through the years come up to us and ask us, you know, 
you two do such incredible work for girls and women. What can I do? How can I help? Um, you know, I'm passionate about recycling or about climate change. How can I do what you've done? And in truth, the answer to that is kind of like, well, we don't, we don't know. Like, I don't even know you. (laughs) I can't, um, I can't give you that, that advice. But what we realized is that the same process we use to kind of figure out what she's the first would do in the world and how she's the first would work in the world, we could modify that. And we could modify the lessons of running an organization and working in nonprofits to benefit individuals who wanted to create their own plan. So that's what the book really is. It says, you know, no matter what your, your cause or your area of interest is, we're going to help you figure that out. And then we're going to help you create a sustainable, ethical plan, one that's really accessible that you can actually do in order to create change in that area. I love what you just shared about how it's about creating a plan and one that's both, I think, sustainable and ethical, because I don't know about you, but I often feel like I really want to dive in. I really want to help. There's so many things, so many causes, so many, um, so many things I want to be part of. But this piece about being sustainable, I think, is key because it's about, I think, how you can sustain your efforts, but also sustain your own well-being through mm. wanting to have an impact. And I'm curious how you you think about that, or how, what role maybe that has played. I think not only with your work maybe with She's the First, but maybe also this year, because this year, especially 2020, we all want to do more. So many issues that have not necessarily lied dormant, but maybe we weren't thinking about or aware of are really at the forefront. And we want to be part of change. We want to help facilitate safer spaces and conversations. But this piece about being sustainable, I don't know. I think it's really key. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And I think that's because too, A lot of times with change making or with activism, kind of wherever you fall on that spectrum of the amount of work you're doing, it's so easy to get not only overwhelmed, but also burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I think we see this a lot, especially with people who really push themselves to to work toward change in their communities. You know, it's if you're constantly working for the community and for the world around you, you're not giving yourself the time to take care of yourself and you know, there's that old adage that you can't fill from, from an empty cup. And it's true. You need to, you need to fill your own cup. And as we were researching and working on this book, we talked to a lot of different change makers. And one of them, her name is Kiko Feldman. She runs an organization. She, she co-founded one called uh, Gender Nation. And Gender Nation, it's really cool, actually. They work to have gender and orientation inclusive books hmm. for uh, for kids in elementary and middle school all over so that kids are really reaffirmed in their own identities. They see people like them in the books that they're reading. Anyway, so she does this on the side on top of a full-time job. <laughs> and so I asked her, you know, how do you keep going? Like, what is, what are your resilience practices? And she had this great phrase that like, we've actually made it into stickers. We love it so much. She said, that whenever she's feeling overwhelmed, what she says to herself is, let's make plans to keep it going. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, like you don't have to keep going, 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 going. It's okay to pause and take a deep breath and kind of look at that to-do list and figure out what your plan is. It's okay to adapt the plan, to change the plan, you know, but when you're feeling that, like you're, you're hitting that wall, if you make a plan to keep it going, it both gives you the momentum you need to take the next step while giving you the grace to stop and to take a breath and to say, what comes next? And I love that. Mm. I think it's such a powerful piece of advice. I I love that. I just wrote that down. Let's make a plan to keep this going because we often yeah. don't we don't think about it that way. We think about how can we keep our foot on the accelerator, no matter what we're doing, Mm -hmm. but we don't think about how letting up a little bit allows you to keep going. And I'm curious then, what are your, your resilient practices that you mentioned? What are things that you do? Um, I think maybe to take care of yourself in that way, fill up your tank, but also allow you to keep going. Because I imagine you've had moments too, where you're super overwhelmed and there's so much and so much that you want to do, but I'm sure you have to, you know, take a step back too. So I'm curious, yeah, what are your, what are your resilient practices? Yeah. So I think the most important thing 
for me is that when I'm eating well and I'm exercising well, my whole everything just functions better. Mm -hmm. So starting the day with a workout is one of the ways that if I know I have a stressful day coming up, I need to get that in. And it might just be 10 minutes of yoga. And like, I just need to move my body to Mm -hmm. feel good about what I'm going into that day. But from there, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I, I do literally make a list and I prioritize that list of what do I have to get done today? And what can I either push off to tomorrow, delegate, you know, but seeing everything kind of concretely laid out for me really helps me to take a deep breath and to fight through that, that overwhelmed feeling because it feels concrete. It feels, you know, here are some things that I can check off one at a time, one after the other. So I don't feel like I have to do everything at once. Yeah. I don't know about you, but nothing makes me feel better than checking something off of my to-do list. Even if I swear to you, I've had times where I'll write a to-do list and I'll put at the top, right to-do list, just so I can have something to cross off. Because it's, I think about that practice of taking everything that's in your head that feels overwhelming, that is overwhelming, and just writing it all down and seeing for yourself concretely, you know, the things you need to do, um, what's a priority right now, what you can sort of leave to the side and, and take it, you know, line by line, item by item. I love that. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to you for you to figure out, okay, when you, when you're either past that point of overwhelm or you're just stressed, like you're not, you're not achieving. <laughs> That's a good point too. What are the things that, that you can do? Like how, how do you pause? And for me, I love taking walks. I love hiking. So if I'm able to get out of, I live in Brooklyn, if I'm able to get, you know, up to upstate and do a hike on the weekend, that's huge for me, just in resetting and in rebalancing. And then for me, meeting with friends, you know, I'm extroverted. I fill up on, on my friend's energy. So those are the things that I do when I'm really feeling either down or overwhelmed or super stressed. And I think a lot of self-care is just the practice of not um, not pampering yourself, which it, it seems like popular culture mm-hmm. has kind of taken mm-hmm. that to yeah. mean. Um, but it's really, you know, identifying for you as an individual, what are the things that help you to operate at your best every day? And you actually might not love doing it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you might not love kicking off the day with a healthy smoothie or forcing yourself to get outside once a day. But if you know that that's going to help you sustain yourself, that is self-care. I love that. And I think that's really true because it's about, you know, self-care doesn't always have to be that the things that you love, it can be the things that you know will make an impact on your Mm well-being and on your state of mind. And kind of going hand in hand with overwhelm, I think is the sense of pressure with impact. Um, this year, more than ever, we've already talked about this. We all want to do something. We all want to be part of change. But there's often, I think, this pressure. Am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. Am I involved in the right causes? Am I posting enough on social media? Am I donating enough money? I mean, it runs the gamut. And so I'm curious yeah. how you've been tackling this, maybe in your own life, but also through the book about the sense of maybe shame or guilt that we feel around impact, about being hard on ourselves? Are we doing enough? Am I not, am I just not doing enough? Um, what would you say maybe to somebody who feels that way, but wants to keep going and and wants to have an impact, but is like, am I, am I really doing enough here? Yeah. So Tammy and I called like this kind of whole system. We refer to it as the shoulds. Mm. Uh, So (laughs) you should be focusing on immigration. You should be focusing closer to your community. Um, You should be doing more. You should be working for the, for the community. Like these kind of sense of both internal and external pressure to create an impact. And then on the other hand, you've also got people who, when you are working toward an impact, will tell you, well, you should be focusing on something else. Like when we started She's the First, we'd get a lot of people who would be like, well, you know, why aren't you focusing on boys? Or why do you have a global focus? You should be focusing domestically. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you kind of get on the one hand, all of this pressure to do something. And then on the other, when you're doing something, you have these people coming up to you and telling you that you should be doing something else. So we call these the shoulds. Um, and we've got, we've got two strategies to, you know, kill the should. Yeah. So first is, 
we really, really strongly recommend that you find your North Star, meaning when you think about the world that you want to see, the changes that you want to see in the world to make it a better place, what are those changes? What is driving you to create impact? So for me, when I think about my North Star, you know, I grew up in um, in a home surrounded by incredibly strong, wonderful women and men who were not so great. And, you know, I experienced emotional abuse and, and all of these things. And so for me, when I think about what change do I want to see in the world? My North Star is a world where women are safe and loved and mm-hmm. girls are safe and loved. And what having that North Star does for me is it means that whenever I think about creating an impact, whether I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm just not sure where to start, I can go back to that North Star and use that as a way to guide my actions and guide my steps. I know then the kinds of organizations that I would want to partner up with. I know the kinds of events that I would want to go to or the kinds of movements that I want to donate to because everything I do, I want it to ladder up to that North Star. And it gives you a little bit of permission to say no to the things that don't line up with your North Star. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's only so much money and time and energy and, and resources that you have to give. And it gives you kind of that, that focus to say, okay, I'm going to put you know, 85% of my impact energy into this North Star, this thing that is really personal to me, this thing that I really, really want to see change in the world. And the other 15%, I'm going to leave for things like issues that intersect with mine, issues that are really important to my friends or to my community, things that I want to make sure I've got some space to put some either money or volunteer time behind. But I don't have to say yes to everything all the time. Because I know that there is one part of the world that I am consistently working to make better. And if we all do that, if we all kind of do our part toward making the world better in the ways that are most meaningful to us, then we're going to arrive at a world that, that actually is better all around. And you can give yourself the grace to focus on the things that matter most to you. I love this concept of your North Star because it sounds like your North Star can be a combination of what you're passionate about, but maybe also something that is an issue or a cause that's very personal to you. And I think that element Mm -hmm. of it being personal to you, I think is really important because you need this momentum or the fuel or the desire to keep going. And you can have that too with a cause that's not super personal to you. And I think that's important as well. But having this maybe attachment, have you found that it's helped to to keep going, to keep finding the tools or the resources or or the energy to sort of stick with it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's actually really important, you know, to think about your North Star as something that you can relate to. Mm. So it might not necessarily be something that you experience trauma around. It might be something you have a really positive experience around. You know, education for me was incredibly transformative. It was, you know, school is a place I could go and I could be my full self all the time, no matter what. And going to college changed my life. So, you know, education is a big kind of theme in my life as well. And it, it ladders up to this idea of women being safe. I think, you know, equality is a big, is a big part of that as well. And Mm -hmm. so you can think about not just the things that have impacted you negatively, but the things that have impacted you positively. What do you want to spread out into the world because it really benefited you? I think that's such a good point because, and I say this on the podcast all the time, yes, of course, we're motivated by, I think, trauma and negative experiences and the bad things that happen to us and the people around us. But what would happen if we were motivated by the joy, if we were motivated Mm. by our passion, if we were motivated by the things that I think transformed us in such a beautiful way. Because I think if you come from that space of joy and passion and inspiration, it's almost about bringing that same feeling and that same experience to somebody else. So I love, I love that you pointed this out, that your desire to change, what motivates you to have an impact, it doesn't need to be something that was negative in your life. It can also be something that was transformational and brought you a lot of joy and served as a space of inspiration too. Yeah. And I think, you know, if this is something you're listening and you're struggling to think about what your North Star is, because we find that people, you know, sometimes 
when I say, what is your North star? I don't even have to explain it. And someone immediately is like, Oh, climate justice. Like this is the (laughs) thing that is most important to me. Um, and other times people really struggle. And I would say, you know, think about, think about what brings you joy. Think about what you've experienced in your life. Think about the things that you've overcome, but also think about, you know, what you're doing right now. Where are you spending your time? Where are you putting your money? What kind of news stories are you most drawn to? And even that can help illuminate for you kind of the the issue area that's most important to you. And you can play with that a bit to figure out, you know, what, what in that really drives and motivates me. I think that's a good point too. And, and really spending, I think that time being reflective and thinking, because the more I've thought about impact, the more that I realize that reflection and mindfulness really play a role. And it brings me mm-hmm. back to a question that you, you posed earlier, which is what is really driving you to make an impact? And I think that question is really important. And that perspective is really important because I have found it's so important to come from this space of service. How can I give? How can I serve? Um, And I'm curious what role that has played for you, both with She's the First, but also with your book and, and sharing it now, because I don't know. I think sometimes we think we have all the answers, but, but we really don't. Um, And so having this perspective of service, I think is really important. So yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious about that piece of it. Yeah. So there's actually, um, within the nonprofit world, there's a pretty famous article that floats around and it talks about this difference between helping, serving, and fixing, helping, fixing, and serving. And what the author says is that if you are trying to help, then you see that person or that situation as helpless If you're trying to fix, then you view the world as broken. But if you're trying to serve, that means that you're looking for your your place as a partner in in making the world better, right? And I think that word service is so important because it helps keep us a little bit in check, Mm -hmm. right? With with impact work, there is a little bit of glory that our society gives to people when they're creating positive change, right? And Mm -hmm. that adds, I think, to that feeling of overwhelm because you see someone who's creating change in their community, they're running a food drive, they're, you know, they organized a marathon, they did, you know, whatever they're working to do for their own North Star. And Mm -hmm. you see all of these people praising them and you think, God, I could never do that. I could never do that. But when you think about it, not as an act of heroism, not as someone who is looking to fix the world or even to help the world, but instead to serve the world, then I think it brings some of the humility back in and it also makes it more accessible. It's not about you necessarily, right? It's mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it's about the actions you're taking and it's about this vision that you have for the world and how you want to make it better. And I think that's what what's serving and this concept of serving really helps stay that across. And so whether you are religious or spiritual or, or neither of those things, mm-hmm. the semantics of that, I think, really helps us to kind of place ourselves within the larger picture of impact. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. And I love I love this, the difference between helping, fixing, and serving. And I think if we can sort of maintain that perspective and that understanding, I think it also empowers us to, I don't know, listen more, find out Mm -hmm. what the real issues are, what the real needs are. Um, I don't know. I feel like especially now, listening is so important and really coming from a space of understanding And within that is also a space of compassion and Mm -hmm. recognizing, I think, your role. So the way you just explained that, I think, is so beautiful. And and I hope hope people will listen to it more than once because I think that perspective shift is is really key. And it will play, I think, a role too probably in this ability to sustain yourself through your own impact journey and allow yourself to be part of maybe, I don't know, like long-term systemic change as opposed to something that's short-term and like a quick Mm -hmm. and easy fix. And I think that can apply to any cause and and any modality of impact. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, when you talk about retaining curiosity, it really is, Mm. it's so key because it does two things. One, it takes away the pressure to need to be an expert before you take action. And number two, it allows you to constantly learn. 
So even if you are working in an impact area in which you are well-versed because you lived through it, right? Let's say you're someone who went through the foster care system at some point in your life. And so you are wholly dedicated to making the system work better and make sure that kids are safe and kids are mm-hmm. loved and that this, this whole system is revamped and works better. Just because you went through that doesn't mean that you necessarily understand the breadth of experiences that come Mm. from that life experience, right? Because you're still only one person. And so even if you are already an expert by, by having lived through something, there's still so much to learn by talking to others who've gone through similar experiences. And I would say that this, this is true twofold. If you're someone who's working in an area where you either haven't experienced that issue or, you know, if you're working on education reform, for example, you just really need to understand other people's experiences. But it's true threefold in spaces where you're working to be a better ally. So when we look at movements like Black Lives Matter, for example, you know, it is really important to recognize the ways in which big movements like that intersect with your own North Star. Mm. And it's also important to recognize that, you know, if you are coming from a place of relative privilege or power, it really is an exercise in listening. And sometimes the biggest Mm -hmm. impact that you can make in situations where you do hold more power, you do hold more privilege, is to listen and is to understand, you know, why a a situation has gotten to the point that it has or why a system isn't working for certain people so that you can understand your role in changing it. So I think kind of regardless of where you fall on the spectrum in terms of power or privilege or experience level with a certain impact area, listening is only going to make you a more effective change maker and a more effective ally and a more effective leader. I love the advice that you just shared because it is so timely. And I think now more than ever, it really is about listening and taking a step back. And um, you don't need to lead every movement, right? You don't need to lead every conversation. I think, and I, and I know you talk about this in the book as well, that so much of it is about learning the landscape yeah. of that particular movement or that particular cause or even conversation. And then finding out, I think, how can you best be part of it? What can you do that maybe utilizes your skills or your talents or just, you know, your resources? What can you do to um, be part of it in a way that's productive and helpful? And I'm really grateful that you talk about that, I think, in the book, but also in this conversation, because we're especially, and I know I've said this, but we want to be part of change. And I think sometimes we think that means we have to be at the forefront Mm -hmm. of that change. But sometimes we can actually really take a step back and, and find out where can we actually be most helpful? What can I actually do that's going to be of service in a really positive, constructive way? Yeah. And I think this is also where your North Star comes in handy as well. You know, if you have an area that you do have expertise in, or you do happen to be a leader for change in, that's great. You know, we, we need leaders for change. Yeah. But, you know, for example, for me, I work a lot on girls' rights. I work on self-defense for survivors of violence. Like I I have these areas in which I'm a very comfortable leader. And then there Mm -hmm. are areas in which I need to be a follower and I need to listen and I need to understand, you know, that life is always full of this balance of sometimes you lead and sometimes you follow. And recognizing when to do both is a really, really powerful part, I think, of, of leading a balanced life. Mm -hmm. I think so too. And something that you mentioned earlier about you don't need to be an expert right away. I'm so glad you said that. And I I wanted to talk a little bit about that too, because this goes hand in hand with pressure Mm -hmm. and overwhelm and the sense of shame and guilt because we put, I mean, personally, I can be a perfectionist. I'm super type A. I put a lot of pressure on myself to know everything right away to, you know, feel like, oh yeah, I don't need to ask questions. Like I don't need to do research. Like I know when, and that's just me overcompensating for feeling like maybe I won't in the moment. But I think that's so important to point out that you don't need to be an expert to dive in. You can start, you know, sort of before you're ready, you can learn as you go. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to call a little bit of attention to what you said, because I just think that's so important. You really just don't need to be an expert before you take action. And I hope for people that will take 
some of the pressure off. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, if you, again, if you go into it with that learning mindset, you automatically have a bit of that humility, right? Like you don't Mm -hmm. need to do everything all at once and you don't need to know everything all at once. And the truth about impact and change making is that we are all going to misstep at some point. We're going to say something that doesn't land or that hurts someone else. We're going to, you know, work with a, a movement whose goals and values we didn't fully understand. Um, you know, we're going to try to launch our own thing only to realize that maybe that wasn't the best approach. And that's okay as long as you approach it from a place of learning and being willing to hear that feedback, particularly from the people impacted the most, um, and that you can learn and you can grow over time. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, we have such a, a call out culture these days, but there is no shame in trying and failing if in the process you learn to do better. Mm. I love that. That is so key. I think it's about the lessons that you take from it and how it allows you to grow. Mm-hmm. I'm curious too about the role of community in impact and the role of maybe your network in impact, because I I feel like sometimes we feel like we have to do this alone, but if you can come together in community, if you can build a network or even draw on your network, I think the possibility for change is so much greater. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think when we wrote this book, we're very careful not to market it as, you know, impact, how to change the world. Mm -hmm. Because as one person, Unless you're Nelson Mandela, like you're not changing the world. <laughs> you can't do you it know? all by yourself. You cannot. And yeah, you know what we recognize and what was really important to us is that despite that fact, you know there are so many systems that are broken right now, especially if you're listening from the U.S. But individuals really want to make sure that they are not contributing to the problem, and in fact that they are working to make it better. So it is true, for example, that I cannot, as a single person, overhaul the prison industrial complex of the United States. Mm -hmm. But I know that as a American citizen, I want to be informed enough about that particular issue that I'm not inadvertently contributing to it. And I want to know what are the steps that I can take as an individual to help mitigate this or to work with other people to create a systems change. And this is where community becomes really, really important. All of those systemic issues that we are, you know, facing on a countrywide level or a statewide level, or even in your own community, these things that feel too big for you to take on yourself, that is where collective action is so incredibly important. And so that's where you look for the organizations who share your values, who share your North Star. You look for the movements and for the activists who are working toward those same things, and you link up with them. Because that is how we work to create change on a systemic level, right? And, you know, that's going to happen through government. It's going to happen through lobbying. It's going to happen through protest. It's going to happen through these big, big movements that we really do need to sync up with the people who, who have the biggest microphone in order to move forward. And that community also, and Cindy, I think you are, you're starting to get to this, that community is part of what's going to sustain you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just the most effective way to create systemic change. It's also the people who really get you, who understand, oh yeah, this is important to you. It's important to me too. And we, we share that and we share a set of values and there's something so beautiful about finding that group of people who really share those same values with you and who are going to push for the same things and who, you know, get heartbroken over the same setbacks and who get excited Mm -hmm. over the same advances and progress. So it really, it's not just the most effective way to create systemic change. It is also a way to, to sustain yourself, to keep yourself motivated. Yeah. That sense of camaraderie, I think, There's nothing that really matches it when you know you're surrounded by a group of people who you have the same mission and goal and value and you can sort of share in, you know, the setbacks, but also share in the moments of progress as well. And so for anybody that's listening, do you have any advice for finding this community or finding this network? Where can somebody start? Um, Let's say they've identified their North Star and they're ready to get involved. Where is a good place to start in maybe, you know, finding, finding this community? 
uh, to be part of? You know, I think actually finding the community is less difficult than actually showing up, right? So mm-hmm. you can find that community in so many ways. You can look at your old school bulletin boards in your coffee <laughs> shop. Um, you know, you can look online, you can look on Meetup, you can ask your friends, use your network to kind of find who's doing what. I think the hardest thing, though, is when you find it, show up at that meeting Mm. and just go like go by yourself. Show up because what's going to happen is that when you are in that room and people recognize that you share the same values, you automatically have something to talk about. You automatically have something to break the ice. And I know for me, the people who I have hooked up with for various impact causes are absolutely some of the best and strongest friends in my life to this day because we we had that same kind of foundation. So, you know, use your use your network, use the internet, find the group. But the most important thing is to show up. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I understand that's harder now when we have COVID, but whether it's kind of post-COVID world and where we're having in-person meetups again or it's a Zoom call, just, you know, take the risk to put yourself out there because you're going to get the reward back. I love that you really just spoke about showing up in these spaces in this community because you're right. I mean, you can have the best of intentions and you can, you know, find an organization, but then it's like, do you, do you show up to the meeting or do you show up to the event? And I mean, I've certainly had moments where I chicken out totally. and I don't go. Um, and I think that's normal and that's totally human, but you're right when you go and you allow yourself to make those connections and, and actually really hear what is needed. Um, I think it makes a big difference for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it gives you, you know, it gives you new friends. Everybody wants new friends. Everybody, especially (laughs) in this COVID world. I'm curious. I just realized I didn't ask you this, but how do you think about impact? Because I think we all have a different definition or perspective around what it means, but how, how do you think about impact? And then maybe taking it one step further, how do you determine whether or not your actions are are having an impact? Yeah. So I think, When it comes to impact, one of the most important things for me is that impact is different from intent. Mm. I think a lot of us have really good intentions. And to create real positive impact in the world, there's a lot of information you've got to kind of slowly learn and know over time, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So it's really hard to to walk into a new space and understand, is my action actually creating a difference? And that's why I think having that that student mindset we've been talking about is really important because it allows you to learn over time from people who have been working in the space what impact looks like for your particular North Star, if you don't know that mm-hmm. already. And I think one of the hardest things about individual impact, about our own kind of impact journeys and impact plans, is that you're right, it is often really hard to see the direct impact of your actions. And so What we recommend are two things. One, doing that collective action, working with a larger group of people is automatically going to allow you to see slightly more impact over time. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, not that you're going to necessarily create more or less impact over time, but you'll be able to see it more clearly because it's happening on a bigger level. But the other thing is we talk about the difference between band-aids and system solutions, meaning, Mm. you know, you see someone experiencing homelessness on the street. You know, there are so many different arguments here about what you should do again with these stupid shoulds, should, should. Right. So you should give them a snack or you should give them food. Don't give them money because what if they misuse it? You should give money because, you know, this is a fellow person in need and they need help. You shouldn't give them money because it's a systemic problem and that dollar isn't going to solve it. And so you should actually give that money to an organization that's working with homelessness instead. Right? Like you have all of the Yeah. And so what we recommend is recognizing the difference between a band-aid, which is giving that person some food or some money to help alleviate the issue right now, to alleviate their pain and their suffering right now while also recognizing that that dollar is not saving this person's life. It is not changing their situation. And if you really want to impact the issue of homelessness in your city, you do need to work with that bigger organization, right? So Mm -hmm. if this Mm -hmm. is your North Star, what we recommend is that you have a balance of both. So 
yeah, like give the dollar, give the, give the food to the soup kitchen, volunteer your time to, uh, you know, mentor a student who's struggling in our school system and kind of recognize two things. One, that's going to allow you to see the immediate impact of your action. Mm -hmm. It might be a small action. It might be even a bigger one, but like you're able to actually see the results of that in real time. And that's important because you're a human and you need motivation too. And you need to know that your actions are creating positive change. Right. 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 And then on the other, balance it out with some of these longer term solutions, work with the organizations, work with the movements, because it's okay to want that dopamine hit of doing good right now for someone. And it does help, but it's not going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And when you can kind of articulate that and recognize that, then you're an impact expert. You don't need Mm -hmm. the book anymore. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that because I think it is really about the difference between impact and intent and what can you do sort of in that moment to have to have that impact, to have that positive change on somebody. But you're right. There are always these different lanes that we can go down and the shoulds. And it sounds like too, in the moment, it's about this gut check for Mm -hmm. yourself of what actually feels good for me right now, like that I'm comfortable with, that I feel is going to have that positive change. Um, And it's going to look different, I think, for everybody. So I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out because I think especially with the shoulds and feeling shame or guilt or being hard on yourself. It really is about in that moment, deciding what action are you going to take that's going to have a positive change in, in that moment. Yeah. And I, you know, it's also about considering what, what are the impacts of this action? So mm-hmm. yeah. I might have the, the positive intent. And one of the stories in the book is about a woman named Veronica Scott and she started an organization to provide coats to people experiencing homelessness. And one day when she was passing out the coats, a woman said to her, I don't need a coat. I need a job. And it was this Mm. really intense moment, but it was this moment in which Veronica realized, Oh, okay. I have been providing Mm band-aids and handing out a coat is not a bad thing, right? You're keeping people warm. In some cases you are actually saving a life depending on what city you're in, but it's still not going to fix the issue. Right. And so Veronica actually used that to, to revamp a bit and to work on not only giving coats, but also employing women from who were experiencing homelessness to come and actually make the coats. Right. So Mm -hmm. she created an employment program Mm. and we're not all starting organizations to make coats. We, you know, we don't necessarily have big factories that we're going to run in our impact work, but there is always going to be a little bit of that. And so that's, you know, that's part of that gut check is what feels good to me, but also what is the impact of this going to look like? What is the underlying problem so that I can make an educated decision about the change or the action that I'm going to make or take right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point too. Before we go, I really want to make sure that we talk about she's the first. And I think this year, especially with COVID and this global pandemic, I can only imagine the effect that it's taken on your work with she's the first. So I'm curious, well, first of all, for anyone that's listening and they're not familiar with, with the organization, um, Do you mind just giving like a brief, maybe like intro? And then I I just am curious too, how we can help amidst this pandemic. How can we help support She's the First? Yeah. So She's the First is the organization I co-founded with my co-author, Tammy, who we talked about earlier. And we started in 2009 and we work on girls' education and girls' rights all around the globe by partnering with local organizations. So we provide training, resources, tools, and funding to make sure that girls are served by by the system of organizations that are supporting them. And the issue with COVID is that, like most other crises, it impacts women and girls the most. Mm -hmm. And that's because, you know, COVID actually around the world, particularly in the global South, actually hasn't had as big of an impact as it has had here in the U.S., for example. But all around the world, governments close schools. And so what that meant was that, you know, with kind of the snap of a finger, 750 million girls around the world were no longer going to school. So they no longer had that support network. They were learning from home. Mm. And for girls who are at or under the poverty line, that's a big issue because they don't have access to ongoing education, but also the, the critical 
um, issues for them that we worry about even during regular times, things like child marriage, child labor, teenage pregnancy, domestic violence, all of these Mm -hmm. started to skyrocket. And that's because of increased pressure on the family, people losing jobs, everybody being home all at the same time. And then, of course, girls not having access to the mentors and the educators that they normally do. It's already being estimated by the Malala Fund that 20 million girls won't return to school after all of the schools reopen. And, you know, this is something that we're going to be seeing the effects of for a long time. The UN is already saying that it looks like COVID is going to wipe out about 25 years of progress for women and girls globally. So, you know, with COVID, it's so easy to get caught up in what's happening right around you. But this is a global crisis and girls are consistently the last demographic to get help and to get support consistently over and over and over again, because they are the hardest to reach, especially in rural settings, especially in marginalized settings. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at She's the First, we've been working with our network of partners to make sure that girls have that connection, that they do have support, that they are connected to mentors, um, that they have educational packets, and that they've got support for when they're coming back to school to deal with the emotional and potentially physical trauma that they've experienced during this time out of school with all of these additional economic pressures at home. You know, anybody does want to learn more about that or contribute to that, we are keeping updates on on our work at she'sthefirst.org slash COVID. Thank you for sharing all of that about the impact on COVID on women and girls, because I don't think, especially outside of the United States, we're not thinking about it that way. And so I think that's really important in terms of perspective and, and understanding and the fact that education has taken a back seat in this way and wiped out so many years of progress is pretty astounding. And thank you too for sharing the info about where people can get involved because my next question was going to be, you know, what can we really do to help, to help support She's the First, anyone who's listening. And I know you have tons of great, you know, resources on the website too. Yeah. Yeah. I would say come to she's the first.org, you know, follow us on social. Um, if you don't have funds to donate right now, that's okay. There are a lot of other ways to get involved. Just come find us and and come follow us. And for impact, you can find the book and lots of lots of goodies at planyourimpact.com. Perfect. And then before we go, my last question, I've got to ask you the question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Um, and that is, what is your biggest dream? Mm, my dream is my North Star. It's a world where all mm. girls and all women are safe and they're loved. I love that. <laughs> and you're doing that. That's what you're doing with She's the First. Oh, and God, I'm trying so hard. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying, but you're doing it. And I, I'm just so excited that we had this conversation. I think, you know, now more than ever, it's about giving yourself grace through wanting to make positive change. Mm-hmm. It's giving yourself that level of compassion and understanding. And, you know, I think taking the pressure off of yourself and just knowing that you can have a positive impact. You can be part of transformational change, but you don't have to do everything. And it's okay not to say yes to everything. I love that you said that at one point in the conversation. So Kristen, I I just can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and sharing so much about your new book and what you're doing with She's the First. And I'll include all the info that you mentioned um, in the show notes for today's episode. And just thank you so much again. This, This is such a great conversation. I... I'm really excited to share it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sydney. This has been really, really fun for me. I appreciate it.